Welcome, everybody. We're going to sing a little bit to begin our service tonight. Before we do that, I'm going to pray. Would you join me? God, we thank you tonight for sending Jesus. God, sending Jesus to earth to live life and, and sending Jesus to the cross to die for us. God, we gather tonight to remember that sacrifice. Lord, I pray as we reflect on this, that it would give us a deeper understanding of the love that you have for us to send your son to die for us. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Would you stand and join us as we sing?
can have a seat. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining us tonight to worship our Savior, to sing praises to Jesus, to take communion together, and honor him, and remember his sacrifice on the cross that brought us life. Tonight, I just want to read a few uh, verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul, he's answering a lot of uh, his detractors at the church of Corinth 
who are suggesting that his ministry wasn't valid because so many Jews haven't accepted the message and because he was experiencing so much hardship and persecution. So that's important to know the context before we even get into this. Paul's answering a number of people who are saying that your message isn't valid because of the persecution and because of the hardship and suffering that you're experiencing. Part of Paul's answer is gonna to be to point back to Jesus and say, look at the suffering that Jesus faced, the suffering that Jesus experienced. And so we considered in an honor to suffer like Christ did. It's in this section of 2 Corinthians. I'm gonna ask you to read it in the devotional next week, but 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, where Paul says some of the most beautiful words about the suffering of Christ and the, what it means to be in Christ. It says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. I love that image. The jars of clay refers to our body. We have this treasure, gospel, Christ, Jesus, living within us in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. <laughs> and... Uh, as I age, the more I know that to be true, right? <laughs> Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. That in Christ, there's this inward, inner life renewal that although we grow old, this resurrection life is living within us. It says, for our light and momentary troubles, if you know anything about the life of the Apostle Paul, you know that the imprisonment, the beatings, the persecution, being shipwrecked, is anything but light and momentary, but when compared with the eternal glory, it far outweighs them all, he says. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. In this campaign we're talking about, uh, in this campaign we've been in for the last few weeks, we're calling it the pursuit. We're talking about healthy personal growth in a self-absorbed world. And what we're going to talk about tonight is dying to yourself and how dying to ourself is an essential part. It's really at the heart of pursuing a life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, verses 14 to 15. For the love of Christ controls us. We're going to unpack that in just a minute. For the love of Christ controls. Remember, Paul is answering why he's willing to go through so much suffering and pain for the sake of the gospel and why his gospel is still valid. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Our big idea is simply gonna to be to die to yourself. <laughs> Put a space in between your and self. I don't know if I can grammatically do that, but it emphasizes the idea. <clears throat> You're dying to the most inner part of you. We're called to die to ourselves. And this is all over scripture. We'll go through a bunch in the devotional next week. It's all over scripture, this call to identify with Christ in his death. And then therefore to identify with Christ in his resurrection. 
That's what baptism is meant to symbolize. When we go under the water, we identify with Christ and his death, and when we come out of the water, we identify with him and his resurrection. So we are called to die to ourselves. Death to self is necessarily, necessarily precedes resurrection life. Death to self necessarily precedes resurrection life. Jesus himself says it a number of places, but here in John chapter 12, just before he goes to the cross, says Jesus answered them, he's talking to his disciples, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, that is to die and rise from the dead and ascend into heaven, all of that in one. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's, he's bringing up an illustration, an image that's familiar to all of us. If you plant a seed, right, a grain seed in this culture, it'll, it'll sprout. It's just one seed, it'll sprout, but it'll produce tons of more seeds of grain. I think corn, because I grew up on a farm. So you plant one corn seed, right, it grows and you get an ear of corn and a number of them on the stalk. So it reproduces, it multiplies a great deal. And what Jesus is referring to here is his death is going to multiply those who are in him, his followers, people who are in Christ. Now he switches gears slightly, just a little bit, to refer to his disciples and how this same principle applies, that in death there is life. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This hate-love contrast, it's a, as D.A. Carson says, it's a Semitic idiom that articulates fundamental preference, not hatred on an absolute scale. So we read that and it's shocking. That's the point. It's meant to shock you. But what he's referring to is just preference. Are we, are we going to prefer uh, the things of this world and things that selfishly achieve what we want, or are we going to prefer something else? He says on this text, he chooses not to pander to self-interest, but at the deepest level of his being, declines to make himself the focus of his interest and perception, thereby dying. One who has died to himself chooses not to pander to their self-interest and declines to make himself the focus of his interest and perceptions, and thereby dying. The simple reality is think of others. Think of something else other than yourself. That's what it means to die to yourself. And he goes on, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And he says elsewhere, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. The cross was an instrument of torture and death. And where I am, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, now is my soul troubled, he goes on. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Save me from the cross. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour, he says. Father, glorify your name. So at the heart, at the core of this surrender of yourselves, dying to yourself is surrender to the will of the Father and submission to God's will, even if it means suffering, even if it means pain, and in Jesus' case here, it means death. Back to our point, death to self necessarily precedes resurrection life. It seems to me that many in the church 
are trying to have the resurrection life of Christ without first dying to themselves. We want Easter without Good Friday, right? But that is not what Jesus teaches. That is not the meaning of the term resurrection, period. We want to have resurrection life. It implies a death first. As Jesus says, something must first die and then be raised and multiplied. Especially in our culture, in our consumeristic culture, the sense that we often get is, why can't I have it all? Must I die? Why can't I just have the good without the death to self? Why can't I have Jesus in my own vision of the good life? According to Jesus, that's not the way it works. We still love our life so much that in Jesus' words, we're losing it. As we talked about last Sunday, are you gonna trust yourself in your own vision, your own picture of what the good life looks like? Or are you here gonna trust the words of Jesus? That is the same sin at the Garden of Eden and the same sin that humans have been committing from the beginning of time. <clears throat> are we gonna trust Jesus' words here that true fullness of life is found in death to ourself and in submission to him and to his word? This means laying our plans down at the feet of Jesus. Submitting our pursuits, the things that we desire in life to him and to his kingdom and seeing what he has to say about it. In my story, this is when my life changed forever. I remember it so vividly. I've shared it with it so many times here before. It was just a simple prayer one Sunday while we were singing. Just felt this conviction that I'm gonna talk about in a moment too. Just felt the presence of God kind of pressing in around me and I just surrendered everything to Jesus. At this time I was in college, so I said, take my money, <laughs> take my, what little I have, that was easy. That was easy to surrender because I didn't have any, right? <clears throat> I said, take my relationships, that was harder to surrender because I didn't have a girlfriend and I really wanted a girlfriend. I said, take my future career, which I didn't know what I was asking because I was studying physical therapy and physical therapists make a lot more money than pastors, but here I am, right? I said, take all of me, Jesus, and whatever suffering, whatever trials may come of it, it's worth it. Because just in that moment, I had a sense of God's love and Jesus' love that was just so powerful. Now my prayer continues to change. Jesus, take my family, take my house, take my retirement plans. If you have a different plan than me, move it. I wanna follow your way. Take my vacations, take my career, take this church, Jesus, it's all yours. We don't live for our own sake, we live for Jesus, as Paul says. As Carson says on this text, the choice here cannot be just 
It says self-abnegation, but I had to look up what that word means. It just means not thinking of yourself or, or just uh, diminishing yourself. Self must be displaced by another, he says. The en endless, shameless focus on self must be displaced by focus on Jesus Christ, who is the supreme revelation of God. So it's not enough for us to just die to ourselves. Instead, we put our attention on Jesus and think of him and focus on him. Because if you keep telling yourself, don't think about yourself, don't be selfish, don't think about yourself, what are you doing? You're thinking about yourself, right? <laughs> we need something else to take our attention and put our attention upon, and so it must be Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus and the love of Christ, especially as demonstrated on the cross here. And the second idea I want us to think about from this text is Christ's love controlling us. Christ's love is, not, is demonstrated most powerfully in the cross. Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us. Remember, he's explaining why he's willing to go through so much suffering and pain for the hope of the gospel. And I've always thought this is such a weird way of saying it. <laughs> some translations say controls, some translations say compels. The idea here is something that holds things together so that they can function and work properly. The idea, this word became used to like describe confinement, uh, sometimes in a negative sense, sometimes in a positive sense. Like negatively, like in a cell or under guard or under watch, so you can't do anything else, like you're in jail. Positively, it's used like a river. Like the, the banks of a river confine the limits of the river so that the water can flow. So the confinement here is a good thing. Think of a pressure tank. If you have an air compressor at home, an air compressor, it allows you to shoot nails, right, into wood. It allows you to fill your tire. The pressure in your car's tires allow it to run properly and handle bumps and all of that stuff, accelerate. It allows you to blow leaves. The idea is pressure, air pressure forcing you in a positive direction. And that's the image that Paul is, is getting at here is Christ's love, when it weighs down on you, it's like this pressure that forces you to act for Christ's glory and to live for him. So the idea is simple. When you, when you just think of Christ's love on the cross, when you think of his sacrifice and what he has done for you, how can you not but die to yourself and live for him? That's his point. It's so overwhelming. We should be so overwhelmed tonight by the love of Jesus demonstrated on the cross for us. And when we're that overwhelmed, how can we but surrender all of our life to him? Our pursuits, our dreams, our visions, all of it is in submission to Christ and to his kingdom. And we reflect on Christ's love on the cross, which I hope you do tonight. Should lead to a loving, willing surrender. It's a strange idea to think of love being controlling, right? But when you think of Christ's love, there is no other response that we can have because it's so overwhelming. 
It's so loving. It is so self-sacrificial. And Jesus is just so good that we must give all of ourselves to him. Surrendering our pursuits, surrendering our life, surrendering everything to Jesus. And he is worth all of it. So let's not just fast forward to Sunday. Let's not just try to have resurrection life without death. We must first die to ourselves. Put our faith and trust in Jesus in order to experience the resurrection life of Christ. And if we don't first die to ourselves, there is no resurrection life. Now we're gonna go into a time of communion. The communion elements are up here. Remember Christ's death on the cross for us. We remember it as a community collectively together sharing in this meal. In the bread, we remember Christ's body that was broken for us. And in the cup, we remember his blood that was shed for us, that cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness when our hope, our faith, and trust is placed in him. I'll spread out the elements. Front rows, if you guys would start coming up first. And then when the row in front of you finishes, follow them, come up, grab the elements, and come back to your seats. We'll partake of them together in just a few moments.
If we were to keep reading in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes in verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our righteousness, our right standing with God is only through Christ and his work on the cross. It's only by faith in him that we can be made righteous. And so the only response is thanksgiving and surrender. <laughs> Would you pray with me for the bread? Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken for us. That Jesus, you surrendered to the will of the Father. That Lord, in the garden, you prayed, may this cup be taken from me, but not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus, we thank you for walking into Jerusalem, for walking into the pain and the suffering of the cross for us. And so Lord, we wanna model our life after you. We wanna to surrender to the will of the Father, die to ourselves and follow your path, Lord, and your will. We thank you, Lord, for taking our sin and your flesh on that cross and dying in our place. We remember your sacrifice as we partake. Let's partake of the bread. Would you pray with me for the cup as well? Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood that was shed for us. Your blood that cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness. Lord, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So Lord, it is our blood that was owed. But Jesus, you were the perfect sinless one who took our place and died for us. Lord, that is love. And as we reflect on your love, may we be drawn to worship. May we be drawn to surrender, to giving all of our life to you. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice and making us holy through faith in you and not in our own righteousness, but in your work on the cross. We remember you as we partake together. Let's partake of the cup. Would you guys stand and sing with us? Let's sing praises to our Savior for his sacrifice. Thank you for the cross that you have carried. Thank you for your blood that was shed. You took the weight of sin upon your shoulders and sacrificed your life so I could live. Now nothing is whole.
Thank you for the cross. We thank you, Jesus, because of your death, you've made a way to new life. We thank you.
would you help us? To grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is your love? How deep is your love for us?
manera on your love, on the, just the immense love that it took for Jesus to willingly go to the cross, to willingly go and suffer on our behalf. God, would, would that love take a hold in our heart in such a way that it truly changes us? that it changes us from the inside out, Lord. That it would surround us in a way that it takes us over and we do, we die to ourselves. We die to ourselves because there's nothing like your love there's nothing like you love, Lord. And we remember that tonight. We remember your sacrifice, Jesus, and we thank you. We thank you, God. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being here to worship with us. We certainly hope to see you all back Sunday. Have a wonderful night.